Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. How are we doing today? Armand, we've got a legend on today's show. The legend, Scott Ingram, who he does carry a $3 million book of business at the same time at Relationship One. But what he's more well-known for is he's the host of Sales Success Stories, which is one of the most famous sales podcasts out there. Nick, why should people listen? Scott's got an incredible set of strategies for mastering your time. His idea around the four P's to win each and every day is really, really cool. And for those of you who sell more complex enterprise deals, he's got this tool called an executive memo that you have to stick around and listen to. All folks, let's roll it. Three, two, one, go. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.
All right, Scott, welcome to 30 Minutes to President's Club. I am really excited for this conversation. But before we get into it, you know we start every single show with your top three actionable sales tips. Let's get into your three. Yeah, so number one is talk to the top seller in your company that's doing the best right now about what they're doing that's working the best for them right now. Nice. What's number two? Number two is run in the direction of the thing that scares you the most daily. Ooh, we're going to dig into that one. Give me number three. Round us out, please. Number three is start creating a system that makes you more productive and will allow you to do more each day. I also need to dig into that one because that is a really exciting topic. Armand, I'm going to let you pick. What do we talk about first? All right, I got to go to number two. So in the notes here, you got the scariest prospect, the most senior executive. You talk about doing the minimum prep and then just getting into it. And so why don't we start with the what you have about seniority? And so a lot of reps worry, like, do I start at the bottom and work my way up? Do I start at the top and then work my way down? How do you suggest somebody break up the fear of penetrating an organization and just go in? Part of it just comes with experience. Part of it comes with repetitions. What I suggest to a lot of people is go talk to comparable executives in your own organization. So if you're calling on chief marketing officers, talk to your own CMO, get to know them, understand what their day is. The better you can get inside the head of those buyers of that persona, the better you're going to be able to do. You'll be able to relate stories from them like, hey, I was talking to our own CMO about this. At the end of the day, it just takes time, but you start to recognize executives are just regular people. They have all the same issues we do, right? And don't get me wrong. The intimidation factor is there, but you learn to understand that they're just people. They have the same needs, the same desires. And the only way to truly get over that is to run at it, just straight at it, have the conversation. So when you're a rep, I mean, a lot of times you get caught up. Should I call below the power line or above the power line at the beginning? And so a lot of people call below the power line. Where do you typically suggest somebody start inside of an organization? You know, I actually like to start below, and I'm talking here from the context of we're doing larger enterprise types of sales, right? I like to call below to understand or validate the research and the insights that I've done. And if I can get that, or if I can get some additional detail from them, I can then leverage that up. And if you guys, I think you guys have told me you've listened to the Trong Nguyen episode. Trong is the master of this and would go from each level of the organization and, and talk to a number of people at the ground level and understand from their perspective what's going on and then formulate those insights and deliver them to then the manager level and then the director level and then the VP level and ultimately to the C level. And what happens in that process is, especially in large organizations, the CEO is so disconnected from what's actually going on in the field. And even though things are getting reported up to them at each one of those levels, it gets polished a little bit, right? And they get shielded from the hairy parts. And by the time it gets there, it's smooth and it's really not that bad, but on the ground, it's horrible. And so if you can put yourself in that position to deliver those types of raw, truth, hardcore insights from their customers or from their frontline employees that they may not have actual visibility to, that can be extraordinarily valuable to high-level executives. I, I think what you're doing is really smart. It's almost tailoring on steroids. And I think back, I mean, I've had people, reps reach out to me where they're pointing out two or three of my SDRs that they've talked to. And I'm like, sort of like weirded out because they got into my org, 
But at the same time, they're able to tell me something about my business. And I'm like, well, shoot, I wasn't aware that was happening. And it almost throws me off for a second. Here's the brilliance. I mean, I, I don't call directly on sales professionals, but even if you don't, sales is the greatest place in the world to go do this type of research, right? Because like, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to position. You know your organization. You know the power structure. Is this the right person? Is this the right message? We're the perfect people to validate with. And we pick up the freaking phone. <laughs> you can get salespeople on the phone. Not a problem. Best hack to get more information about an org. Okay, so Scott, I really want to go in this direction of your tip number three, which was this idea around building a system to be more productive so you get more done every single day. And I think most of our listeners are probably listening to this episode because they saw your name and they know your Sales Success Stories podcast because you spend a ton of time talking to top performers. And I'm sure you've pulled things out. And I'm sure that almost makes you obsessive about finding ways to get a little bit better every single day. So can you just expand on that point a little bit about building a system to be more productive? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's the biggest question I get asked about because people are wondering how it is that I'm carrying a $3 million number and hosting two podcasts, well, technically three, and a summit and publishing books and, and doing all this stuff. It's because I have this process and I've been working on it for 10 years. So by the time this episode airs, I'm going to release the presentation that I did at the last Sales Success Summit. So I gave a 45-minute keynote on what I call my productivity process. And it's four P's. So the P's are purge, process, prioritize, and perform. The first thing is purge. And that is just getting rid of all extra noise. So I'm an inbox zero guy. So that's part of purge. And when you're going through that process, if you're getting an email regularly that doesn't add value, unsubscribe from the dang thing. You want to diminish the distractions as much as you can. This is one of the reasons. I have a variety of reasons, but I, I consider myself a conscientious Facebook objector. I disabled my Facebook account probably four or five years ago. Don't miss it at all. So that's the purge thing. The process piece is, for me, it's a bit of a triage of what all is coming at me today. This is a daily process that I'm doing. So I'm getting my inbox to zero. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm confirming my appointments. I'm figuring out how much extra time do I have to work with? So I'm going through the calendar. I'm going through my to-do list. I'm going through my pipeline. I'm looking at all of my opportunities, figuring out what can I move forward today? What's the action that I can take today to be moving deals forward? And then once you've done that, then it's about prioritizing. Now, okay, here's how much time I have available. Here's the most important things on my list. What are those priorities? And one of those my priorities might be, I'm going to run towards the fire. Like of this, what freaks me out the most? Because typically that's your body telling you what's going to make the biggest difference. Okay, awesome. Top of the list. And, and the beauty of that approach is when you do that, you're on fire the rest of the day. Like it so sets you up just doing that scary thing. It ends up not being that scary. You get a good outcome. Awesome. There's nothing else worse than that for the rest of the day. And you just keep cranking away. And once you've done that prioritization, you've built your list, then you just perform. Because if you do this on a regular basis, if you run a process like this every single day, you don't end up in this place where you're like, okay, well, I made some calls. I did this. Now, what do I do? So can we go one level deeper here on your calendar? Because I'm really interested in how you manage that. Are you doing anything with your calendar? Like, are you blocking specific time to do things? Are you color coding? Are you trying to stack similar meetings so that you're in the same headspace? What special things are you doing with your own time control? The biggest thing that I do is 
I really try and manage my energy levels. I am a super morning guy and I am most productive in the morning. My energy wanes massively in the afternoon. So what I do is I put all of my conversations in the afternoon. Because here we are talking late in the afternoon. This lights me on fire. Like when I get to talk to people, I love that. That's great. I don't want to waste that energy in the morning when I can be getting stuff done, right? Because then if my afternoon is empty and I just have action items to do, I don't get through nearly as much. Well, so you're eliminating the decision fatigue. What it sounds like to me you're doing is the beginning of the day, you are making a series of decisions about how you're going to prioritize and spend any white space. And what happens is if something gets thrown off, which it's going to every now and then, but anything you can do to control that things don't no show or, or move, you're doing so that you don't then have to reassess how do I reprioritize and build this day out. You nailed it. It's a whole big chunk of decisions right up front. And then I shouldn't have to think so dang hard the rest of the day. Like what's next on the list? What's next on the list? What's next on the list? Just knock it out. So Scott, I want to go a little bit more granular on one of the things you mentioned, which is looking at your pipe. And so a lot of reps get in the habit of anytime they talk to somebody, they look at their pipe again, they get pulled into Salesforce, they're constantly scraping their pipe. And so do you have any good tactics for when you're managing a $3 million book of business? How do you keep your pipe clean? How often do you review it? Do you have any systems around that? It basically falls into the same processes, right? It's a daily triage and then a more strategic look once a week. And what I'm trying to document with each opportunity in the pipe or each account is what's the best next action, right? So one, again, I, I don't want to have to like every time I look at the opportunity, have to think about that and go dig into it and go figure it out. It should be there. Now, that may change. I may have had a slightly different idea or something happened in the world or who knows what, but at least I've got that as the trigger. And so I can very, very quickly just burn through and review. And again, looking at those best next actions, like which of these can I do today? Or is there anything that I need to do to set up for that? And I see this so consistently among the top performers that I interview. There is almost always a big weekly strategic just some think time. For a lot of folks, this is Sunday afternoon or sometimes Sunday. And it's finding a quiet place and just giving a little bit more thought to what's going on with this stuff, right? What can I do to make a bigger impact on this that gets just one level above the transactional kind of best next action kind of stuff? Is there a different approach? Is there another way that I should be attacking this? The other thing that I'll do is I'll bring some of that into my one-on-one -on -one conversations with my manager. Scott, I want to poke on the thing that you talked about working with your manager because not all sales coaches are great out there. A lot of times you hear these one-on-ones that just either turn into forecast meetings or they just end up to be basically unproductive chit-chat. And so how do you prepare for your one-on-ones with your manager to make sure that they're actually useful? Pretty much the same way that I prepare for any meeting, right? Whether it's a client meeting or anything else, I think you have to treat it like that. So what am I hoping to get out of the meeting? and building an agenda. And a lot of times what I will do, I think we waste a ton of time in one-on-ones just talking through stuff that already exists, right? So it's worth it for me to spend 10 or 15 minutes and maybe jot an email in advance and say, look, here's the things I want to talk about. Here's the questions I have. Here's some relevant updates because now I don't have to go back and rehash that and explain that. Like, look, we're starting on the same page. Let's just dig right in. Let's make really good productive use of that time 
We should be doing that with every single meeting that we have. You guys did it for this podcast. It was great, right? Like, here's the agenda. Here's what we want to do. Let's talk about it. Let's do a little bit of prep so that when we get in this, we're going to crush it. So you're actually putting together an email in advance for your manager saying, hey, here are the six deals you needed an update on. It's probably already in Salesforce, so you can just copy and paste it in. Here's the questions I have. Here's what I want to talk about. And it's all laid out. And so you're actually just setting the agenda ahead of time. Yeah, I run my meetings with my managers. I always have. I don't know how other people run their one-on-ones. I don't know how other managers run their one-on-ones. But to me, like my leadership is an asset to me and I use my assets. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit because that's a really interesting area we haven't dug in on. And that's getting the most out of other resources in your organization. My services director is not a salesperson, but they're going in and they're having somewhat of a sales conversation, right? Because you're trying to win the business. And so how do you best prep that person? Are you just sending them, hey, here's a link to Salesforce, read the notes. Are you getting on a call with them? Are you joining that call and shadowing to jump in for context? How do you make sure those conversations go off effectively when maybe you're not holding people's hands throughout all of it? The baseline thing that I'm doing is I'm sending them a briefing prep email. So that same thing that I'm doing with my manager, I'm essentially doing for them, right? Here's the background. Here's what you need to know. Here's the goals of this call. Here's what I think the agenda ought to be. I'm basically setting them up, right? But I typically am going to go let them have that conversation. I think it's better if I'm not there, right? For those exact reasons of, hey, look, we don't want to have the sales ears on the phone, which is fine. And I trust my team, right? We've done this together a lot. And so that's basically the process. One thing that we get stuck on is, Nick, this is probably second nature to you. You talk about quarterbacking deals all the time. I've got a 10K sale. And so we have some product people we can bring in, but at the same time, we can't bring them in on all of the hundred deals we're going to close this month. And so let's say you have the ability to bring in your team on some deals, but not all of them. How much time should a rep spend being super, super, super ingrained in the product and everything you need to know about the industry versus leveraging their team for that? I will say, let me answer it this way. I think you can almost never know too much, right? The more you can be a subject matter expert, because at the same, while you want to be able to bring people in, I also don't want to be dependent on other people because the other thing that can happen is your deal is going to slow down because that solution consultant isn't available this week. And so just by nature of their availability, that's going to delay the deal. Well, you know what? If I can give the demo and I can do it tomorrow, why wouldn't I do that? So I've always been a huge believer in being able to deliver my own demos and having as much knowledge and expertise as I can so that if I need to, I can go run that play. And sometimes I've really wanted to run that play. There's been a lot of times where I've been selling SaaS solutions and very intentionally, I wanted to be the one running the demos and not a solutions consultant because that to me just communicates, oh, this is complicated and you need an expert to run this. And one of the points that I wanted to make is, look, even some idiot sales guy like me can run this thing. So one other thing, and and I know I'm asking a lot of questions because Nick, I know you get this, but when you're managing all these different steps in the sales cycle and you've got your solutions consultant or your sales engineer with you and you're in that seventh meeting, how much discovery or rediscovery are you doing in each meeting? I created a process at my last company called the Demoscovery. 
because what the customer wants is they just want to see the dang product. And what we want is we want to interrogate you and ask you a bunch of questions. And so those are at odds with each other. Well, I really believe in being customer centric. And I had a super flexible, awesome solution that I was selling. I was able to build my discovery process into my demo. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. So I was selling an event marketing technology. And so the thing that most people wanted to see was, okay, well, what does the registration process look like? What are the different options that I have there? Well, because I had so much flexibility, I would actually capture everybody that was on the call because you might be registering for an event where there were multiple attendees. Awesome. So I can capture that. Now I get everybody's contact information. Perfect. Then as I went through, right, it's sort of a multi-step thing. I would just ask them, obviously, just the basic things in terms of how many events and what types of events and those types of things. And then we'd get into functionality. Do you need to book hotels and travel with your events? If they did, then the next step would show how that process worked. If they didn't, it would skip that step. That's gold because you'll get these meetings where you'll have had a discovery call with two people and then the next call for the demo, so to speak, you get one more stakeholder on the call and you don't want to rake all three of them over the discovery calls again, but you sort of have to continue doing disco. And so that's so, so important. Well, I was going to say the way you do it is something we've talked about on the show before, Armand, which is where you brief the person who wasn't involved in the other meeting. And it's actually, there's two sides to it. One, you are making sure they're caught up on the conversation because they don't know what happened before. But two, now you have an opportunity to check for clarity because you're briefing them. You're saying, here's how my conversation with Scott and Armand went. Let me give you the 30-second recap. Am I missing anything here? And they'll tell you if you're missing something. At least the lawyers that I sell to, they always love to speak up and tell me when I'm missing something. (laughs) Well, and let's talk about one more piece in this, and that is the idea of perspective. Right. Because an organization, as you're selling to multiple stakeholders, they don't have one point of view and one idea of what's most important and what the priorities are. Perspective comes into play massively. Right. So there's some nuance in making sure that you're also capturing what's important to them. What do they care about personally that may not be in alignment with the bigger goal and just trying to understand those things? So let's say we've got these multi-stakeholder deals. You're trying to take care of everybody's unique perspective. But at the same time, you might have had a great conversation with somebody who seems to be bought in in month one, and now it's month six. What's the cadence that you're using, and how are you keeping that first person in the loop throughout the entire deal? Let me talk about my approach when you get into the multi-stakeholder situation. I'm a huge believer in as much as you can have the conversations one-off. Demos in particular, if you're trying to show something and meet the needs of 20 different people with 20 different perspectives, good freaking luck. It's not possible. So as much as you can, doing some discovery and getting some understanding at the individual level and also just being able to present to them what is most relevant and what aligns with their goals and their objectives and the things that they care about. And I actually try and avoid the gigantic meetings. I think they're a liability. I think they're dangerous. That's a really interesting paradigm shift I'm having right now, Scott, because I've always been the, okay, most bang for my buck. Great. We got 20 people in the room. This must be a good thing, but you're right. 
you end up having a vocal few who get their needs addressed, but there are people who are not. So the strategy I've always taken is follow up with every single person after the demo. Hey, was there anything we missed? But maybe you were better off doing the same demo four times and have the groups only be five people. I'm going to have to play with that one a little bit. That's a really interesting perspective. As you're running all of those separate meetings, are you keeping everyone who you've already met with in the loop as to like, hey, here's what happened in each meeting? Or are you just sort of like waiting until the big hurrah where you can pull everybody together and say, great, we're all aligned? Last year at the Sales Success Summit, we talked about mutual action plans and co-creating. A lot of people would call this a closed plan, but I want to create something that I can develop with my buyer and with my champion. Think about trying to distill the idea of what you're trying to do. Typically, we're doing that in a presentation. And the presentation is often 30 minutes, an hour. How many times have you given that presentation? You got to the big stage and then the executive had a conflict and they're not in the room. That's never happened, right? You're like, well, crap, what are you going to do? It's not like they're going to listen to a recording. Even if they do review the deck, they're going to miss all of the detail. And the way that I've sort of taken it on is, can we co-create the story of what this solution is? And it becomes this living, working document. And the goal is to keep it pretty short. Like, can we keep this to three or four pages that somebody can read in 10 minutes? And now that executive is able to gain that perspective. It can serve as that touchstone in that way that we're communicating. So as you're updating people in the organization, it can be, hey, I just talked to this person. They shared X. Should we incorporate that into this document that we're working on and we're developing together? If I'm an executive, this even happens with the different managers that roll into my team is I want recaps in some consolidated form in the same format so I can understand what's going on with each team. And our CEO asks for the same thing from every division, from product to engineering to whatever else it might be. And you're giving them the cleanest possible roll up that an executive could want. And he's like, well, my team is completely bought in. I can see you've talked to everybody that I need to know. And I see the recap from every conversation. So I don't even have to be in all of those conversations. Exactly. At the end of the day, most of the time, you don't need the the CEO or the CFO or whoever is signing off and doing some of the behind the scenes approvals. They don't care as long as the team is bought off and behind this idea and can articulate the value. And that's been that's always been the dangerous thing. And something I've always massively avoided is putting yourself in a position where you've got an internal champion that has to go sell for you. You're not a sales professional. Like I can prep you. There's a lot that I can do, but you're not me. (laughs) You're not going to know how to respond to their questions. You're not going to know how to respond to their objections. So please put me in that position. This is the next best thing to that, right? This is, here's the document. I'm confident that this is well articulating our position and the value in all of these things. And now they've got that, that they can go present. I'm much more comfortable with that type of a situation. So Scott, this has been a fantastic conversation. We could keep going on and on, but we've talked about a lot of good habits that reps have. And honestly, there are a lot of habits that we got to break right away. And so if there was one thing that every rep on every sales floor needed to stop doing today to be more successful, what would that be? I'm going to say stop being distracted, right? If, if you really want to be productive and you really want to execute, you've got to keep as much from interrupting you as possible. Because every time that happens, it throws you off for way longer than you think. Start with your phone. Turn off all the notifications on your phone. You don't need them. Text, that's fine. 
And that's about all the notifications I have. No other apps are allowed to interrupt me and screw with my flow. Scott, anything else you want to leave with the audience? Dude, you got enough to cut. No. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right, guys, turn off your distractions and stay tuned for a 60-second recap email coming in soon. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways for this episode with Scott Ingram include, number one, start every day by planning out the white space for the day. Then get after it. Plan your attack, then attack your plan. Number two, use demo discovery to continue the discovery during the demo. Ask them about how the process looks in their organization today, and then based on that, take the demo down a different path. Number three, write a shared executive memo for the key decision maker that includes recaps from every single person you've talked to in the sales cycle so that he can see that their team is bought into the process. And then number four, never do a demo with 20 stakeholders in the room. You cannot possibly satisfy the interests of everybody. Nick, how can people help us out? So if you like the show, only one thing, subscribe. If you don't like the show, you can help me by sending a very angry in-mail to Armand on LinkedIn. Either way, we get a laugh. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes of President's Club. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.